Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert who works with people all around the world. He's the best-selling author of Ketotarian and the Inflammation Spectrum, and his latest must-read is titled Intuitive Fasting. Great concept and a great title. Today, we're going to talk about all things fasting, and we're going to talk about our coaching program, which Will is a part of. We love Will. He is such a lovely guy and a true thought leader in the field of functional medicine. Will Cole, welcome back. One of my hey, all-time my favorite people. <laughs> Likewise. I love you. I love your family. I'm glad we're talking right now. Well, I'm glad we're talking. It's great to see you. Always a pleasure to have you here on the Mind Buddy Green podcast. So love the new book and I love the concept. I think it's very interesting. As we know, fasting, intermittent fasting is a huge trend, but the title of your book isn't intermittent fasting, it's intuitive fasting. Mm-hmm. So let's start there and can you talk about the difference between traditional intermittent fasting and intuitive fasting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that like all the things that I write, whether it's an article or a book or Anything I do, it's really a ripple effect of my clinical practice and my 10 hours a day for the past decade, I've been consulting people online about this stuff. So you, you get think about it until you look back and think about the hours and the, the galvanizing that happens in your spirit when it comes to different health practices and tools and, and working out all the kinks to make it work for people and and seeing the real life data on that anecdotally and then immersing yourself in the scientific literature on this stuff too. So I, I there's a few reasons why I called it intuitive fasting. One, I, I love writing and I like play on words. So the prefix INT with intermittent intuitive, like that was the superficial side of things. But I was more interested in the paradoxical side of things uh, on the next level of how the heck could fasting ever be intuitive? And it's the conversation that I'm having with the reader throughout the book is that when you have metabolic flexibility, when you have a true physiological groundedness in your body and you have proper hormonal signaling, you have proper gut brain axis communication, you have lowered inflammation levels, your blood sugar is balanced, you have all these infrastructural things sorted out and resilient, or at least moving along the way of resiliency, you will have intuitive fasting. But we have to show up for ourselves to get there. So it's the antithesis of this arduous, punitive, eating disorder disguised as a wellness practice that I think sometimes people can bring a great tool like fasting onto the, the option, the tools in the toolbox, fasting's there, but how are you doing it? And you hear these this tribal opinions that fasting's great or fasting's horrible. And like with anything, context matters. And that's the conversation that I wanted to have throughout intuitive fasting. And it's the conversation I have with my patients for the past decade is, okay, how are we using this? Let's leverage the amazing benefits of fasting, but let's do it in a way where there's a grace and a lightness and there's a, a rhythm and a balance to it, a cadence to it. So you can tap into the amazing benefits without falling prey to these potential pitfalls of too much fasting or they're doing it the wrong way. 
So a departure from, I think, if you think about fasting in some ways, it is rigid. I've got my zero fasting app. I've got my timer. And traditionally, we talk about fasting with someone who, who is really passionate about it. And I've had this discussion with many guests. It's like, you know, which one? Is it 16-8 or 18-6 or 24 or 5-2 or 36 hours? And how often do you do that? And everyone's got an opinion. And... I think what you're getting at, I think it's an important message. Those are a number of approaches which are rigid and there's essentially a timer versus really focusing on metabolic flexibility. And I want you to elaborate that and and listening to your body and and like, but at, at its core, not eating for a definitive amount of time, probably greater than 12 hours over the course of the night into the morning. Mm hmm. Is that yeah. safe to say? Yeah. I mean, I think I want my patients and I want the reader of the book to find authentic, intuitive eating and intuitive fasting. And it's easy for us to say that. I mean, when you go on social media and intuitive eating and there's a movement going on and I'm kind of, I'm excited that this book is coming out around that sort of that movement of intuitive eating. But coming from a functional medicine practitioner standpoint, for it to be more than just a vapid soundbite and it sounds nice, it's even appealing, right? Oh, it's like I can eat intuitively. There's a certain sect of people that can get away with that, right? There's a certain sect of people, it's not the majority of the human race right now, that have no blood sugar problems, they have no inflammatory problems, they have no autoimmune issue, they have no hormonal issues, they don't have any problems, right? They are. They can get away with this intuitive eating without even doing much work. But the people that I talk to, and statistically, the majority of the human race, they're going through various degrees of inflammatory problems or blood sugar issues or hormonal problems or autoimmune issues. It's going to be completely counterproductive to do that because is it is it hangriness or is it intuition? Is right. It, is it insatiable cravings or intuition? I mean, that's, it's, we have, those things mask the intuition, right? If you're craving something that makes you feel really horrible afterwards, is that really your intuition that's leading you to feeling bloated and inflamed with flare-ups? No, that's not. So I want people to get there and flexible intermittent fasting, like you said, these different time-restricted feeding windows are this sort of proverbial yoga class for your metabolism. Because like when I first started yoga, it probably was that revitalizer. <laughs> <laughs> I sucked at it. I looked at all these yoga suits, Catherine Budig and Tara Styles do the yoga. They are amazing. I, not so much. I, it doesn't mean yoga is bad for me or yoga is just not for me or that I should just give up. But I have to show up to that practice to get flexible, to get strong, to get rooted in my body. And that's how I see intermittent fasting is. If you did yoga all day long and never rested, that wouldn't be good. But when you show up to yoga class and give your body the time to get stronger and more resilient, that's a good thing. So that's how I see intermittent fasting. Well, from my vantage point, I think it's, you, you hit the nail on the head. You talk about intuitive eating and it is buzzy. It's out there. And I think you take a step back and you think about that. It's like, okay, I can get behind that. Listening to my body, listening to my intuition. But to your point, it's like, oh, it's three, we're recording this now. It's 3.43. My, my, my intuition is telling me I need a donut. I'm, li- I'm listening to my body, Will. And right. when, do you, when is it your intuition versus what is it your blood sugar crashing or something else going on metabolically? And I think it's important to everyone. I think we all love the idea of intuitive eating, but 
it does need some parameters. And I do think if we look at the state of our health in 2021, metabolic health, it's pretty poor here in America. 88% of us are metabolically unhealthy. That's pretty bad. And so the focus on metabolic flexibility, and I want to spend a little bit more time on that, I think is critical. And I think what fasting has showed, and it doesn't have to be rigid with you point out, is it really can have tremendous metabolic benefits. So can we stay on metabolic flexibility mm-hmm. very quickly and talk about, like again, like a primer on what it is and why it's so critical? And mm-hmm. also not just talk about food, but talk about stress, sleep, all the things mm-hmm. that, that play a role, which are kind of tough for a lot of people right now, given what's going on in the world. Yeah, that's a a really important point. Food and stress and sleep, those are all, I mean, as I meant, I've talked about this before, but stress is junk food for the soul. And it it is part of this uh, equation. And you can't just look at food, even though food's a major primary driver of metabolism and it is fuel, but there are other non-food components that impact our physiology as well. And that goes back to the larger picture of this bi-directional relationship between our thoughts and emotions, our external self, and the impact that has on our hormones, our gut-brain axis, our physiology, inflammation levels, but our food impacts our thoughts and emotions too. So we have to look at both sides of that coin. But metabolic flexibility, we are born, all kids, all babies are born burning fat for fuel. Um, Babies produce ketones. They need ketones, which is known in the research as the fourth macronutrient. So we have protein, fats, carbs, and ketone bodies, specifically beta-hydroxybutyrate, BHB. So all babies are born in ketosis, and we need it for proper brain development, proper neural development. And even if babies aren't if they aren't nursed and breastfed, MCT oil is added to many different formulas because these exogenous ketones in the form of MCT or healthy fats from breast milk are needed for the proper brain development of babies. And then we start to lose that ketosis, especially in our modern life. I mean, we're eating a lot of refined carbohydrates and starches and things that turn into sugar, basically. And over time, people have various degrees of metabolic inflexibility. So they are in stuck in this sugar-burning mode. Their blood sugar is all over the place. They are not fat-adapted. They don't have ability to really burn fat effectively. They have a lot of cravings. They have different chronic inflammatory symptoms. Uh, this is the state of when you mentioned the amount of people that have metabolic syndrome, that's a, a lot of people that have some sort of metabolic disorder, whether, and it's a spectrum, it's from mild blood sugar issues and cravings and weight loss resistance to then metabolic syndrome and then prediabetes and then type 2 diabetes, but that's a, the majority of the human race, sadly, right now. Those people, which is the majority of the human race, again, going back to that intuitive eating thing, it's not going to work on the surface with metabolic inflexibility because it's the cravings will drowned out that still small voice of your intuition almost every time. So you have to start to quiet that proverbial noise, whether that hormone balance or inflammation or blood sugar imbalance, you need to calm that and still that noise to hear that resounding voice of your intuition, uh, which is the point of what I'm talking about in intuitive fasting. So the, the analogy that's used a lot in our world when it comes to metabolic inflexibility or metabolic rigidity, it's like kindling on the fire. You're going to get some light, but it's going to be short-lived. But people are putting their six small meals a day or six kindling sessions throughout the day to maintain that light. If they don't, 
the light's going to go out. That's the light of your energy, the light of your, your, your metabolic function throughout the day. That There are cleaner kindling and then there's the dirty kindling. The cleaner kindling of whole foods and, and fruits and starches and all better stuff relatively to, to the refined garbage and the junk food and the processed stuff, but it's still kindling nonetheless, but there's a place for it. So I, we utilize the benefits of clean kindling throughout the book. There's nothing wrong with it. But if your only option, and, and I would say this, if your only option is burning kindling, look, that's a better option. But there's another option too. You can burn the best of the kindling, the clean kindling, and put a log on the fire. Your life's going to be a lot better. You're not going to be constantly bound by the next meal or needing that snack or really struggling with cravings when you have a log on the fire. That is burning fat for fuel. And but as it's as the term implies, metabolic flexibility, it's the ability to burn both sugar and fat. It's not just to burn fat. So I'm not advocating for everybody to be in ketosis, which is produced when you're in this fat burning state all day, every day. It, a cyclical approach is really the name of the game. And there's two different paths to burn fat for fuel. There's the ketogenic diet, a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate diet that mimics a lot of uh, the benefits of fasting. And if you look at the research, the pathways are identical because it is mimicking fasting, a ketogenic diet, and intermittent fasting and different fasting techniques. So both will produce beta-hydroxybutyrate or this, this ketone that you need for fuel and burning fat and stabilizing blood sugar and lowering inflammation and all the other amazing benefits that it has. So both paths are there. I'm advocating for people to implement both a ketotarian, which is mostly plant-based, clean ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting, because they amplify both. They work together so well, and they're amplified. Both of them are amplified. And when you eat a clean ketogenic diet, you are fast you're getting the benefits of fasting without actually fasting but when you're fasting your fasting is easier because your blood sugar is more stable and you're not trying to fast your way out of a poor diet which is not i would never advocate that from a functional medicine standpoint so you talked about fat and i want to stay on fat specifically as it relates to healthy fats especially for women women or men are women and men are obviously very different and they're especially different with regards to, to fasting. And mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit about the role of healthy fats and why they're critical for all of our female listeners out there if they are going to mm -hmm. intermittent fast? Yeah. I mean, fats are very important for so many things. I mean, if we just start with the brain, I mean, our brain is 60% fat, 25% of all our body's cholesterol is in our brain. Every hormone is made with a phospholipid membrane. It needs fat and cholesterol to be produced and our immune system needs healthy fats. So definitely working and bringing in healthy fats is essential when it comes to brain health, which regulates the endocrine system and then the hormones themselves and the immune system. And it's very satiating as well. So it's very nourishing. It balances your blood sugar. And one of the reasons why most ways of eating or diets fail is because you're stuck in that sugar burning mode. And then you take the sugar off, right? Because you're doing a diet. And then you're in this metabolic purgatory where you're in either heaven or hell and you're miserable because the kindling's off the fire. And then you're like, oh, it was only so long you can grit your teeth to go through this fad diet. That's the problem is that, okay, you were depending on kindling 
And then you took the kindling off and you're basically just living in this hypocaloric, chronic caloric restriction diet approach, which fails most people most of the time. So I'm just advocating, let's put a log in the fire and let's leverage the benefits of clean kindling because they're both really important when it comes to supporting our hormone health, supporting our metabolic health. But it, it is very important for women specifically because if they're menstruating, if they're cycling, you need you have this beautiful dance of estrogen and progesterone that you need to be supporting throughout the month. And healthy fats are an important point, part of this. And I would advocate cyclical intermittent fasting is really important for this as well. And this is a hot button topic because you hear a lot of people that will say, well, fasting is not good for women. I've heard that fasting is not great for women. And, and it's true that fasting a lot of the fasting research uh, was done primarily on men and mice, which are not women, but there, there are many studies that have been done on women. And I will tell you clinically, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence from myself and my clinical practice and many other people in the functional medicine and fasting space that will tell you fasting can be an amazing tool for women used in a proper way. But more isn't always better. And I know this may be radical, uh, earth-shattering news for some people, but not all women are the same. And it's very reductionist for us to say, put all women in one category and say, fasting's not good for women. It's, and it's important for us to understand, again, context matters. Who are we talking about? Who is she? And what type of fast is she doing? Because is she going through PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is on that metabolic insulin resistance spectrum? Uh, is she going through metabolic syndrome, prediabetes? Is she going through weight loss resistance or different inflammatory problems? A moderate to even a deeper fast is she's going to respond to it completely different than somebody that she's not going through that. She's maybe leaner. Maybe she has sluggish thyroid function. Maybe she's going through a stressful time in her life. She's not sleeping well. She's a new mom maybe. That's gonna, they're all women, but they're got, same fast is going to produce a different outcome. So it's important for us to let's find out the right type of fast that works for you so you can leverage these amazing benefits, fat burning, brain boosting, hormone balancing, lowered inflammation, all the stuff that we want. Going back to that earlier statement of working out or the yoga, it would be like somebody never working out a day in their life, showing up to the gym, working out really hard, and then saying working out's not for them. And it's like, well, no, it may be the wrong workout for them, and they had to lean their way into it. And there are certainly people that are doing workouts that aren't the best for their body, but it doesn't mean workout, working out isn't good for them. Well, well, on that note, I think one of the things it came up in a, a podcast we had with Allie Miller a while back with regards to women and fasting, and you actually talk about in the book is women are more susceptible to leptin sensitivity which is mm -hmm. so can you and it's leptin not lectins guys sorry for, for your for our gundry fans it's not lectins it's mm -hmm. leptins so mm -hmm. and, that, and that's a, a big deal with regards to to women and fasting or just generally anyone in fasting so can, can you talk about leptin resistance explain what it is and why it's critical yeah so leptin it, which sounds like lectin, but leptin has nothing to do with lectins directly, at least. But leptin is thank a hormone God, that thank are, God, thank <laughs> God. Yes, something else. <laughs> leptin. Here's the difference: lectins. Your body doesn't make lectins. Lectins are proteins found in different grains and things like this. But leptin, your body makes it. You want it to make it, but it's a hormone that our fat cells produce. Our fat cells are actually very intelligent parts of our endocrine system, and they're supposed to tell the hypothalamic cells of the brain, the hypothalamus, to burn fat for fuel. But many people are 
struggling with chronic inflammatory problems. And that impacts the cellular membrane, which is made of fat. And the receptor sites to leptin in this instance is blunted. It's dulled. It's like a baseball mitt that can't pick up the baseball or the receptor site to the hormone not being able to pick up the hormone of the baseball there. So it's leptin resistant, which is very similar and oftentimes associated in the research to insulin resistance. Or you can have thyroid resistance or cortisol resistance or progesterone resistance. You can have receptor site resistance to any hormone. But leptin resistance specifically is mainly having to do with the brain's communication with the fat cells. So the brain, you could look at food and gain weight with leptin resistance. You could eat like a rabbit and gain weight with leptin resistance. It's behind many people's lifelong many times struggle with weight loss resistance is they do all the things and they can't get away with it and they're constantly up and down on the scale because they're struggling with this underlying hormonal resistance pattern that's keeping them from becoming a fat burner. This is associated with inflammatory problems, is associated with metabolic issues and blood sugar problems too. But I'll tell you what, from clinically I see some cases of leptin resistance and their blood sugar is fine. It's not a blood sugar problem. So it's correlated, but not always a causation that they're always together. But you want to look at all of it. And intermittent fasting is a great way to modulate leptin to have proper hormonal signaling of leptin, which is really a powerful tool. And it's completely free because I can see people that have high leptin forever and ever, and then they start the cyclical fasting protocol and their leptin levels start to come down and their, their brain's communicating with their fat cells again. So you mentioned cyclical fasting and something you else something that really resonated with me and I'm sure will resonate with all of our listeners right now. You talk about clean carb cycling. So clean carb mm-hmm. cycling, you say it's a great tool to figure out what our carb sweet spot is. Please tell us more as I think mm-hmm. we would all like to figure out what our carb sweet spot is. Tell us more. I will tell you more. Carb we all have different carb tolerances and if someone's more insulin resistant or more leptin resistant they tend to be at least this part of their journey right what works for them now won't be necessarily what always works for them and that's why i advocate throughout the book to always check in with your body and see where you're at but let's say somebody is carb intolerant right now those people are typically insulin resistant they're not getting glucose effectively in the cell because their insulin receptor sites are blunted in their resistance and that's can be associated with leptin resistance whatever their blood sugar is typically off and they're typically struggling with weight loss resistance and this can make them very carb intolerant carb um Carbs impact their hormones. It impacts how they feel, impacts their inflammation levels. It's going to impact their digestion. They're just not going to feel really great when they have carbs. And it's important, too, to open and broaden that definition of carbohydrates because sometimes it's conflated with just grains, which that is true, like wheat, rye, oat, barley, spelt, even corn, quinoa. All the grains are carbohydrates. But what I'm talking about here is the macronutrient carbohydrate, not just grains. So carbohydrates, anything that has sugar or turns into sugar, which is grains, but it also includes fruits and includes starches, starchy tubers like sweet potatoes and potatoes. It includes beans, legumes, anything. When you plug it into my fitness pal or chronometer, actually look at the macronutrient data. That's what I'm talking about here. Those those carbohydrates are going to be metabolized not so good for somebody that is has a carbon tolerance and it's impacting their physiology in a negative way. 
So what I'm advocating for people to find and, and, and discover for themselves is how their body, where do they feel the best? Where's their energy? Where's their digestion? Where's their libido? Where's their sleep? Where's all this stuff at? And leverage it to their benefit. So I want them to gain some metabolic flexibility first, and that involves cyclical intermittent fasting and a ketotarian diet, which complements that fast to start calming that noise first, to get some sort of baseline, to get blood sugar more stabilized, to get more fat adapted, to get that log in the fire. And at that point, from a sustainability standpoint, I want them to leverage the benefits of these clean carbs. Like how can we leverage the benefits of that clean kindling? Because you need kindling sometime for a great fire. You don't want just, you don't want a log all the time. So the kindling is really great for the extra burst of of light, that extra burst of energy around a heavy workout or around your cycle or around just personal preference for flexibility of enjoying different foods. I want people to have that, but I want it to work for their body. So as they gain metabolic flexibility, we've calmed that noise. We can start to hear intuition a little bit more. We are in touch with our body on how foods make us feel. And then we experiment with increasing carbohydrates and we're going to check in with our body as we do that. So if you're talking about technical stuff, we're only technical if you want to be and we're only technical for a little bit until you learn how food fuels your body. But I want there to be an ease to this. But at the beginning, you have to educate yourself about food and you have to educate yourself about your body. So 50 grams or less of net carbs during your ketotarian days because you're getting that log on the fire and you're training your mitochondria, you're training your brain, you're training your, you're training your metabolism to put a log in the fire. But then let's say we do that for at least 30 days or so. Then we want to try to bring clean kindling on the fire again. So at that point, you're a little bit more stable, you feel better, and you're in tune with your body. So at that point, we increase clean carbohydrates from 75 grams to 150 grams, which is relatively still moderate carb to low carb. It's by no means excessive carbohydrates, but it's still really healthy levels for most people. So I want them to use it strategically and assess their energy, assess all these digestion, assess their goal, their life, assess their body and how they feel. And some people are going to know, oh, I feel better with less carbohydrates. Some people are going to do better with more carbohydrates. That's bioindividuality. That's the heart of functional medicine. We're all created differently. And it's easy for me to pontificate and say, well, this is the magic diet for everybody, but I'd be proven wrong all day long if I did that. So I want people to start to be their own N of one experiment, their own randomized controlled trial in their own personal way to say, no, this food makes me feel better. This type of fast makes me feel better. And there's no one that's gonna be, they'll be able to know for themselves. And everybody's opinions online or on social media or on podcasts will be secondary because they'll know I feel better when I do this. And I wanted to provide them the direction to find out for themselves. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to, we're going to get in the weeds on this. Can we talk about hormesis, which you call, I love this, the secret to cellular resilience. We could all use a little bit more cellular resilience these days. So let's, let's get in the weeds. Oh man. Hormesis. I, beyond being a functional medicine nerd, I'm a history nerd. So I mentioned this story in the book, and I think it's really fascinating. So this is the historical roots of the term or the concept of hormesis. So hormesis, let me just define it loosely right now. It's, it's good stress. It's some good form of stress 
that makes your body more resilient and supports cellular resilience and just systemic resilience. The historical origins of the term came from a king thousands of years ago. His name is Mithridates in the Black Sea region, and he thought that his mom was trying to kill him. But if you know anything about history, you'll know that when you're a royal, people are trying to kill you, and it could be your family too. Pretty messed up. But this guy, whether it's substantiated or not, thought his mom was trying, his murderous mother was trying to get him, and he would give himself small amounts of poison to, and if he ever was poisoned, he was wanted to build up build a up resilience his towards yeah. it. Yeah, so, and it happened. <laughs> Whether it was his mom or somebody else tried to poison him, he didn't die. And that is supposedly the historical origins of the concept of hormesis. And then after that, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of years, thousands of years of medicine and research and this concept of the dose makes the poison. And now research really is looking at how fasting, the ketogenic diet, cold therapy, sauna therapy, high intensity interval training, exercise, these are all hormetic effects or forms of hormesis on the body where if you look at exercise, cortisol comes up, doesn't make that bad. You're actually making your body more, you're breaking down muscle to build it back up stronger. That's the same way with fasting. Cortisol comes up a little bit towards that during the fast, but that's actually a good thing because that taps into the autophagy, the cellular resilience, that taps into this ketosis, that taps into the stem cell activation. And same with cold therapy and sauna therapy, all this stuff. It's the dose, you don't wanna always be fasting, that's called starvation. You don't wanna always be in a sauna. You don't wanna always be in, in an ice bath. You don't wanna always be exercising. And to say any one of these things are bad and, no, and you shouldn't do them, well, it's how are we doing it? And none of these things you should be doing all the time, but you can tap into the body's amazing capacity for healing when you do it in a right way that works for your body. So that's what hormesis is, and I love it, and they should explore it for themselves. I, I think that is the all-time best story to explain hormesis. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it, and the publishers wanted to take it out. I said, no, what? keeping in with their daughters. Rodel, what do you think? Take that out, are you kidding me? Come Rodel. on. Mother's trying to poison. We've got the royals. This is all. This is. <laughs> so <laughs> on that note, yeah. we'll, we'll segue to, look, dessert happens. Carbs happen. If you're going to have sugar, in your opinion, what are the best sweeteners? If you could choose, I know you always can't choose. And if great dessert comes your way, you know what? As long as it's not every day, I'm of, I'm of, the, I'm of the belief that you, know, you yeah. should enjoy it. But mm -hmm. if you do have your choice, I'm very curious how you think about sweeteners and how would you rank them? Yeah, I agree with you too on the, the whole dessert side or anything, any food. It shouldn't be this punitive thing of I can't have that. You can have whatever you want. This is You can even use those foods that you enjoy or you think that you enjoy maybe because you used to enjoy them. Use all of these things as mindfulness tools. And that's what I advocate in the book is have that donut or have that junk food that you you had in the past, if you choose to have it, then use it as a meditation of saying, how did this make me feel? Was it worth it? Well, if it's worth it, then eat it and move on and quit shaming yourself. Have but a great you'll... donut. If you're going to have a yeah, donut, I'm... have donut plant in New York City. Best donut in the world. Go there for it. Go. Don't just get a crappy maybe... donut. You're right. If you're going to do it right, 
But maybe you'll eat it and you'll say, no, this wasn't worth it. I thought it was, but the allure of it is gone. And you'll remember that for the next time. Then it won't be this punitive thing. It'll be like, no, I love feeling better more than I miss that food that made me feel like crap. That's what I want people to have. But if going to your questions, the, the sweetener side of things depends on the day. It depends on what you're trying to do. So let's go over a more of a ketotarian, clean keto, mostly plant-based keto approach. So if you want to work on the log on the fire and get it fat adapted and, and that side of things, then I would go for things like monk fruit and stevia or xylitol or allulose, something like that. Uh, again, these are the things you should be having copious amounts of and having all day every day. No, but they are natural sweeteners that I think you can really serve you when they're used in, in making desserts and having box foods or you know healthy treats that have these in them. And then if you want the clean kindling side of things and get that burst of energy and you're doing some clean carb cycling, you're trying to find your carb sweet spot, I would go for honey, uh, maple syrup, coconut sugar, something like that. All of those things have their place and you can experiment with all of those depending on what your goals are. So someone listening is saying to themselves, okay, I'm going to pick up the book. I'm excited to get started. I, I, I think I can embrace this and turn it into a lifestyle. Because again, I think any, any choice you make with regards to, to diet, it can't be a diet, it needs to be a lifestyle. And they're going to go shopping at, at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or wherever they go shopping. What, what are some of the kitchen staples that just anyone, no matter where they are on the spectrum in terms of plant-based versus maybe more carnivorous, like what are the staples for anyone to like get started to embrace mm -hmm. intuitive fasting? So the Ketotarian was the name of my first book. So it's a mostly plant-based, clean, ketogenic diet. This intuitive fasting is in many ways a continuation of that conversation. I wanted, there are a lot of people that read Ketotarian that wanted me to talk in a deeper way on intermittent fasting. And that's really part of the reason why I wrote the book too, because I touched upon it in Ketotarian, but this is a whole book about it. But I also wanted to open it up to a lot of flexible eating too, beyond just a mostly plant-based ketogenic way of eating as well. So there are omnivore options. There's a lot of flexible options there, but the base of it is still Ketotarian. So there's vegan keto, vegetarian keto, and pescatarian keto, sort of a, a Mediterranean ketogenic approach. So that is the foundation of the foods. And then from there, you can add in the more options. You, can, uh, you, there, you have the clean carb options too. And then we have a whole break the fast section as well. So it depends on what you're looking at. But if you're talking about the foundation of the, the meal, uh, avocados, olives, extra virgin olive oil, like polyphenol rich olive oil, avocado oil, coconut cream, coconut milk, coconut oil. Those are sort of the vegan keto foundation, nuts and seeds. I should mention those as well. And if you want, if you, someone's dealing with some digestive problems, I recommend in the book to soak them to make them a little bit more digestible. It's very easy to do. And then lots of produce. You really can have any vegetable that you like there. And there's tons of recipes to make it easy and delicious as well. So lots of leafy greens, sulfur-rich vegetables like uh, asparagus and Brussels sprouts and onions and garlic, things that have sulforaphane in it that support uh, detoxification pathways. Uh, low fructose fruits, so berries, citrus fruits, wild caught fish, again, the grass fed beef for the omnivore options. There's a lot of easy choices that people can get at Whole Foods, but they can also get these things at Aldi, they can go to Costco, they can go to Walmart, they really can get these pretty much 
anywhere. I mean, I'm based in Pittsburgh. We don't, we're not the, uh, the epicenter of, of wellness. I can get any of these things either in my local grocery store or I can order these things online too, which we've lived in such an awesome age where people, more people have access to this stuff. So in terms of oils, I know one that you're a big fan of, you talked about earlier, I, I, I want to spend some time on MCT oil. What is great about MCT oil? So MCT oil, it stands for medium chain triglyceride oil. It comes from coconut oil. It's extracted from coconut oil uh, and palm oil too. So if you get, if someone gets coconut oil, they're going to get a lot of different fatty acids in there. The MCT is just one of them. So when someone's buying an MCT oil that is extracted and isolated and standardized, it's pure form of just the MCT oil. So it's a type of saturated fat, but it's a medium chain saturated fat, which is different than the long chain saturated fats. They're utilized and metabolized in the body completely different. And they don't have, well, some people have different gene variants or they're insulin resistant or for whatever reason they don't do well with a high saturated fat diet and coconut oil and getting fats from coconut it is a lot of saturated fats but mct that specific type of saturated fat behaves differently and it doesn't seem to have the same uh, impact that other types of saturated fats do so if somebody is concerned about saturated fats which it shouldn't most people shouldn't be that overly concerned about it anyways but if, if they are they don't have to be reductionist with saturated fats. This is a very specific type of it. The brain loves it. It, it, it passes through the blood-brain barrier. It provides the brain clean fuel. Your metabolism loves it. It's a good uh, tool for people that are in a fast to work on satiety. So if they are new to fasting, I almost see it as this sort of gateway food to fat adaptation where they aren't fully fat adapted yet. They don't have the log on their fire. So some of these exogenous healthy fats they can have during their fast to make the fast easier while they get that log on the fire. So it's kind of just aiding the body a little bit while your body's metabolism is becoming a fat burner. So it's a great tool to have. You can have it obviously in coffees. You can have it in tea. You can just have it off the spoon. And there's ton, tons of ways to have the MCT oil. So you mentioned coffee with MCT. I have a bit of a technical question. So if you have your black coffee, well, it's not black anymore. If you add MCT and perhaps you add some grass-fed ghee or some grass-fed butter, does that break the fast technically? <laughs> Everyone's got a different opinion on this. I know yeah. we're going down the, 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 the rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, in your opinion, on the record, does MC, a combination of MCT oil plus gear butter break mm -hmm. the fast? So the it's not all or nothing, and I think that if it's if someone's new to fasting, they are not canceling out their fast if they're having this, and if they're having like five or six cups of these. Butter coffee, zero. So maybe calorically at that point you're pushing. I'm really it. enjoying my fast right now. It's gonna be really. Good. I'm really da -da -da -da. about to jump off the wall. Yeah, right. If you're having copious amounts, like calorically, that could definitely impact it. But if we're looking at straight macronutrients, you're having a cup or two or whatever, small amounts of these things. It's such a negligible amount. The overwhelming benefits of the fast is going to still remain in place, especially with MCT oil, which has no protein. So really it's mimicking fasting and you're not going to be thrown out of your fast from that. If you have copious amounts of it from a calorie standpoint, check yourself on that. But we're talking about normal amounts, small amounts during your fast, a cup of coffee, maybe two cups. It's not the end of the world. I think if it makes your fast 
easier at the beginning, especially. I would rather have someone do that while they're training their metabolism to be more fat adapted. The ghee is still, it's mainly just butter fat. There's not much protein in that either. I would still put that in the same category as the MCT oil. The butter has small amounts of protein. So again, small amounts, is it the end of the world? No, but here's the deal. There's a pathway that is called mTOR, mammalian or mechanistic target of rapamycin that is kind of sensitive to proteins. So once you add in maybe some butter, and then I would say the collagen protein, sometimes people add the collagen protein, which I love collagen protein, but adding that in during your fast, it's okay if it makes your fast easier, do it. But that pathway, mTOR, is sensitive to proteins. So if you're erring on the side of, I want to support the longevity benefits, which is what mTOR is associated with, I want to support autophagy, I want to support the, the, the stem cell activation, I would just lean towards the fats or something with no calories, which is just the black coffee or the tea with nothing in it. But it's a gradient. Look, I, would, I think use these things at the beginning and then as you get better at the fasting, then maybe you won't always need them. Maybe you have them when you want to, no big deal, but it's not something you're depending on during your fast. I agree. For me personally, I'm a huge fan of fasting and I'll, I'll play it by ear. Some days I'll go long, some days I'll go short. And maybe once, I find myself maybe once every week or once every couple of weeks, I'll throw in a little ghee, maybe an MC. I'll just play it by ear. Some days yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going long. I feel great. I'll just keep going. Other days like, you know what? I really want something to eat. Uh, yeah. Doing it for like three or four years, I also realize I'm not our listener and that I'm a six foot seven, 46 year old male who's 200 mm -hmm. plus pounds. So like I'm physiologically, I'm just different and it took a while, but you gotta, I'm a big believer as I know you are when I love about the book and just figuring out what works for you. And it's a process. Exactly. You can't just figure it out in like a seven day plan. It takes a while. Exactly. No, and, that, and that's a great point. And when I put together that protocol in the book, it's a four-week protocol, I want people to cycle through those as many times as they need to gain metabolic flexibility, to gain intuition, learn about your body, but you're also going to know, oh, I feel better when I did this. I didn't feel so good when I do this. So that's another way that you're growing an intuition too. By the end of like two or three of the cycles in the book, two or three um, cycles of the four-week protocol, you're gonna be able to adjust it for yourself as you learn your own bio-individuality. Maybe the lighter fast you do better with more clean carb cycling. Some people do better with the deeper fast. That's what this authentic intuitive eating and intuitive fasting really is about. It is bio-individuality. But again, we have to give our body the proper infrastructural stuff on a physiological level to, to actually have the ability to do that. So where do you think the conversation on fasting is going? I know that so many people are excited about it. There are a lot of studies happening right now. What are you paying attention to with regards to the science, with regards to other thought leaders in the space and how they're thinking about fasting? What do you think we're going to be talking about in 2022 with regards to fasting? I, I think it, it's so exciting to see all the research come out of it. When you see the far-reaching benefits of fasting, it is not just fat loss and that's an important point is that there's some people that may be thinking hearing this conversation i don't have way to lose i don't want to fast i'm going to become emaciated and we, what we actually know from the research is that when you're in this fat adapted state 
ketosis, beta-hydroxybutyrate is actually muscle sparing. So people that are underweight, I've seen people actually build muscle up and actually gain a few pounds of healthy weight, muscle weight. They're actually more lean and more defined as far as the muscle amount is uh, gained. And you're improving digestion and absorption. You're giving your gut a break. So people that are underweight that maybe have unhealthy guts, their body's not absorbing nutrients, what I love the research that I reference in the book where the microbiome has this sort of circadian rhythm where we have certain colonies of bacteria that are higher in the morning, some are higher in the evening, and fasting resets the circadian rhythm of our microbiome just like it resets our, our hormonal circadian rhythm. So I want people to know if they don't have weight to lose, this flexible fasting approach re- improves digestion and absorption and it helps preserve muscle. So to me, me, what's the most exciting about fasting and where I think the conversation is headed are these ways that we can explore these amazing benefits of hormesis, of fasting, in a way that we didn't think. We thought it was just a weight loss thing, which is always, for a lot of these things, even with the ketogenic conversation a couple of years ago, that's what gets people in the door, a lot of people in the door. But I want everybody else to know My people, like the people that I consult online, they're the people struggling with autoimmunity, the people struggling with these food reactivities or struggling with uh, digestion and absorption and inflammation. Well, this is an amazing tool that's completely free to re-regulate and support these pathways that I need to be supported for them. So uh, the quote that comes to mind is Paracelsus that I quote in the book, another weird history thing. He was known as a father of toxicology in the late 1400s, early 1500s in Switzerland. He was known as the Martin Luther of medicine because he was reforming medicine at the time. He called fasting the physician within. So to me, it's like, it's there's nothing new under the sun, but it's sort of a bringing Paracelsus's word, words to fruition of this inner physician, this inner doctor that is completely free, that regulates all these things, restores all things, re- re- renews all of these things that I really need to be supported, lowering inflammation, improving um, mitochondrial biogenesis, all the stuff that so many people are struggling with right now. It's they can tap into it for themselves. So that's what I'm most excited about when it comes to fasting. Well, you mentioned tapping into our inner doctors and that's something I am so thrilled about. I think there's been such a hunger for well-being in in our world today with COVID and mm-hmm. you've got telemedicine and a focus on metabolic health and I'll segue to our, you know, what, what I'm so excited about, we're excited about at Buddy Green, and your part of it is our functional nutrition coaching program. More than ever, people need coaching. People want mm-hmm. to take control of their health. I think it's clear we, we have to have our own backs to take care of ourselves, to take care of our communities, and to make sea change. And I think with telemedicine, that has been accelerated, and it's exciting, mm-hmm. and it has me so excited about our coaching program, which Mm -hmm. you're a part of. So I'll Mm -hmm. close with that question. You're part of our our coaching program. What has you so jazzed about the time we're in right now in 2021 and the opportunity in coaching and our program? Well, I mean, I'm honored to be a part of the program. It is world-class. I mean, we, what you've put together, I mean, the world's best of the best when it comes to functional medicine and nutrition and just leaders in their own field and people to be able to learn at their own pace with this information is 
such a cool opportunity and I'm honored to be a part of it. I get this question all the time on social media and even my patients, it's interesting to see people with different career paths that through their own health journey, and I'm sure this is most of the students as well, that through their own health journey, they got inspired and they have a, a hunger and a thirst for knowledge and learning and wanting to help people. And through their own journey, they amalgamize this into something and alchemize this into something really beautiful to help other people. And that's, I think it's important now. It's really important now. And I think the silver lining with COVID and the pandemic, if there is one, it's that people learned what's important and they reprioritize their life and they wanting to have an agent they want to have agency over their health and they learned that they don't have to travel all over the place to get access to amazing information and to empower themselves so it's something that they can be in their own home they can be wherever they're at and and learn this in real time stuff that i've seen for the past decade just being in clinical practice transform people's health, tra transform people's lives, and transform their family's life too, which is really cool to see. So to empower the masses for this is such a cool thing. And we're just scratching the surface. When you look at the statistics of the amount of need that's out there when it comes to chronic health problems, 50 million Americans have an autoimmune disease, millions more are somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. The, you mentioned the metabolic issues, the amount of people with meta, the metabolic issues, the amount of people with anxiety and depression. I mean, there's so much need there that it's this tool, it's the tools like this that are really gonna be the future because there's only so many doctors out there and there's only so many hours in the day and not everybody needs a doctor right now in their life. They need their PCP, whatever, for checkups, but they, don't necessarily need a functional medicine doctor. I think health coaches and, and people that are trained in functional nutrition are the wave of the future because they're the ones that can see people and scale it because of the because of the number of the people that are being educated on this. I 100% agree. Well said. Again, congrats on the book, Intuitive Fasting. Pick it up, guys. Will, always a pleasure to have you. Thank you, my friend. As you just heard from Will, 2021 is the time to turn your passion into a career and become a functional nutrition coach. Our coaching program gives you access to 19 of the world's top doctors and health coaching experts, including Dr. Will Cole. Over nearly 30 hours of instruction, these experts give you a solid foundation in functional nutrition and teach you how to brand, market, and expand your wellness business. Now's the time to be the change you want to see in the world. To enroll in our coaching program today, visit mindbuddygreen.com coaching and enter code COLE, C-O-L-E, to get $300 off. Go to mindbuddygreen.com coaching and enter code COLE to get $300 off.